Welcome to In-House Legal with attorney Paul Boynton. It's everything in-house, legally speaking. Technology, business practices, trends, and controversies important to corporate counsel. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to In-House Legal. I'm attorney Paul Boynton. And I've covered the in-house legal community for over six years as a publisher and editor of in-house publications, and now have my own media consultancy. Today's topic of discussion is taming the litigation beast. We're going to cover the ever-present challenge to in-house legal departments of making sure litigation doesn't become a runaway train. First and foremost, at the first sniff of a claim or a lawsuit against your company, the in-house legal department must take charge of a case and not let go. A passive or slow reaction can be disastrous. In-house lawyers absolutely detest surprises in litigation, and for good reason. A surprise usually means legal bills will be higher than expected. Worse, it could even mean a case has taken a turn for the worse. To avoid the heartburn and unpleasant task of explaining a budget-busting lawsuit to your CEO, in-house counsel have to insist that their outside trial counsel adhere to a plan of action. The mantra should be, no surprises, please, with an exclamation point. This means outside counsel must answer to you not only on strategy, but on the details of executing that strategy as well. Here to talk with us today is Barry Weiner, a legendary Boston trial attorney with over 40 years experience. Barry has worked with in-house counsel on many litigation matters, a founding partner of the Boston-based law firm of Roberto Israel and Weiner. Barry has also served as an arbitrator, mediator, and master in various courts. Barry recently completed a six-part series on litigation management in in-house publications. The articles can be found on his firm's website at www.riw.com. Welcome, Barry, and thank you for joining us today to discuss with us this very important topic of taming the litigation beast. Nice to talk with you, Paul. Well, Barry, but what I'd like to do today is sort of track a typical lawsuit in the various stages and what are some of the uh, tips and techniques that you have uh, to offer to our audience and ways that they can uh, you know, gain control and keep control over uh, litigation. But before we do that, let's step back and look at it from the so-called 30,000-foot level. And what are the primary issues and concerns for in-house counsel in effectively managing their litigation budgets? How can they get the most out of their litigation dollars and avoid those runaway expenses? Well, I guess at bottom, Paul, I would suggest that uh, obtaining sufficient knowledge in a timely fashion so as to make appropriate, timely decisions to defend or settle or prosecute uh, is uh, at the core uh, of what uh, I believe is most important. Without that knowledge, uh, you're at sea. And you're susceptible to, as you suggested, those unwanted surprises uh, on the substance of the case uh, or the budget or potential resolutions, uh, which can be devastating. And uh, how is it that one goes about, and again, before getting into sort of the granular issues, how, how do you go about getting that knowledge in a timely and effective way? Well, I think for in-house counsel, it, it, it's been my experience in, in working with them as well, uh, that... Uh, Initially, in-house counsel uh, needs to set very clear expectations uh, in terms of what it is that you need and how and when you need it. Uh, And that, uh, again, includes not only substance, 
insofar as the case is concerned. But information regarding uh, counsel's evaluations of issues in the case in general, and also uh, insofar as the process and the budget, as well as regular communication at important benchmarks along the way, which should be identified, uh, as well as reports uh, on, an, on an episodic basis as well. I think if you have, as you say, from 30,000 feet level, uh, if you have that in place, uh, I think uh, then at that point you're, uh, you're ready to, uh, to be able to tackle uh, what undoubtedly uh, promises to be uh, a, uh, uh, a difficult situation. And without that uh, kind of drill that I've just described, I think you're, uh, you're asking for trouble. When in-house counsel first gets notice of a claim or a potential lawsuit, Barry, what are the primary steps they need to take to get immediate control over the case? And what should they expect or even demand from their outside trial counsel? Well, I think that uh, in, the, in the first instance, uh, what I think uh, they need from outside counsel beyond what I just said in terms of that communication and so forth is uh, even at a very early stage, you want outside counsel to provide you with uh, an, an early evaluation uh, as to uh, the substance of the matter, uh, the uh, layout of the process and the timing of it, and also uh, do uh, his or her best to provide you with the costs of defending or prosecuting uh, that they can best estimate, as well as an evaluation, however early it is, on the ultimate outcome. When that happens, and when you get that, uh, even if it's based on certain assumptions which should be articulated, inside counsel uh, ought to then uh, put together a cost-benefit analysis as to uh, the case. And now, by, by that I mean... Uh, you need to compare it to the uh, the estimated exposure, if you will, uh, the downside, uh, as and compare it to the cost of defending or prosecuting the particular claim in question. And and so, for instance, uh, if in doing so, even at that initial stage, by way of example, if you found that uh, the estimated cost of defending, for instance, a claim uh, equaled or approached uh, the, uh, the exposure, uh, it seems to me at that particular point, if I were in-house counsel, that would have a significant effect on what it is that I would want to do. Presumably, I'd want to settle that case in as quickly as I could. Well, it sounds like once you establish an early case evaluation, as the it, there are built-in assumptions, so as a case proceeds, there would have to be a, a revisiting and perhaps alteration of that evaluation. Yeah, when I say that there's an early evaluation, you you would also want to work with outside counsel to lay out uh, the various benchmarks in that process, uh, wherein uh, in-house counsel and outside counsel would revisit. The, that evaluation and the cost-benefit analysis. And you want to, uh, for instance, what you would certainly want to do is perhaps uh, after the initial uh, pleading phase, uh, you certainly would want to, along the discovery phase, have a, if not certainly at the conclusion, but probably before, 
you would also want to be able to have a benchmark at that particular point where uh, once you've got sufficient information through discovery, uh, and the other side does as well, you want to be able to revisit uh, the case uh, and its evaluation and the cost-benefit analysis. You probably also want to uh, uh, revisit uh, the issue uh, as you would at the beginning and uh, all the way through as to uh, whether or not the matter ought to be resolved, and if so, how, uh, whether or not ADR is something that uh, you want to consider. Barry, would you recommend as part of this evaluation process uh, regular meetings, uh, perhaps quarterly, or is it uh, sufficient to just do it over the phone or via email? What's your thought on that? Well, I think it depends on the people. Um, uh, Clearly, face-to-face meetings are always... uh, from a point of view of communication, uh, more preferable. But it may very well be that for whatever reason, uh, people's schedules or what have you, that that's not, uh, that that's not possible. Uh, I would say, however, uh, that uh, communicating merely by email uh, on a matter of consequence in a piece of litigation, while I'm sure there's going to be communication by email uh, from time to time, when you're doing these kinds of uh, retrospectives uh, and uh, reanalysis, if you will, it would seem to me that at the very least it ought to be with a human voice on the other uh, on the other side. And so, if you can't do a face-to-face meeting, say on a quarterly basis or whatever the case requires, uh, I would say that at the very least you want to do it by telephone. Very good. Let's assume that uh, a company is knee-deep into the discovery phase. What processes and steps need to be in place to maintain control over the litigation and related expenses? Because I know that sometimes discovery is where a, a case can get uh, kind of crazy and out of control. Well, there's, there's no question uh, uh, about that. Uh, I think uh, in terms of the, uh, the discovery process, uh, the, the major tools, as you know, Paul, are uh, document production, interrogatories, depositions, uh, in terms of the discovery tools in the bag for a trial lawyer. And uh, it is important uh, in that cost-benefit piece for uh, the outside counsel to not only lay out the process and the timing of it, but approximate costs with regard to that insofar as the uh, either prosecution or, uh, or defending a particular case. The the real bugaboo that uh, has popped up in, uh, in, in the last several years deals with uh, electronic discovery because it has proved to be, uh, insofar as document production is concerned, uh, a potential uh, uh, bottomless pit uh, in terms of dollars and cents and effort in order to comply with requests. Uh, and if you can't or you won't, uh, as we've seen, courts uh, have issued draconian sanctions uh, for failure to comply. So uh, when you get, for instance, a, uh, a document request, and let's focus in on, on e-discovery for the moment, uh, because I think uh, of all the discovery tools, as I say, that can impact you budgetary-wise far more than anything else in, in most cases. In those situations, when you uh, when you get such a request uh, in a case, you want to make sure if you're in-house counsel uh, and in working with your outside counsel that you 
in the first instance, know your computer system and document policies and procedure. Uh, that may seem a little bit simplistic, but lots of times uh, in, the, in the busy days, what may happen is, is that as changes are made, uh, in-house counsel may not be quite up to speed on a, on a moment-to-moment basis. When those claims come in, you want to make sure that you recheck and you know that system and the policies and procedure. You want to promptly notify your employees in writing to preserve documents and suspend document destruction policies uh, when litigation is commenced or even when it is threatened. And then upon receipt of that e-discovery request, you want to promptly assemble a response team, which should include your legal staff, your outside trial counsel, and inside trial uh, IT people. And early on in the process, Paul, you may well want to evaluate the need for outside expert assistance uh, in connection with electronic discovery. For instance, it may be that uh, the scope of what you're talking about is so involved and difficult uh, that it may be uh, uh, substantively and and expense-wise smarter uh, to uh, identify a an outside expert, and there are lots of them, to work with you and with outside counsel to be able to manage uh, the production, if you will, and the organization of the documents. And then early in the process, I should not forget, you also, when you get such a request, you want to seek agreement with your opponents to limit the scope of any e-discovery request. Now, that's typically done by your outside counsel, uh, but you want to make sure that your outside counsel, rather than simply spinning his or her wheels, right at the outset, uh, sits down with outside counsel and looks to limit that scope uh, uh, and uh, perhaps do so by an agreement on particular words that they're going to search for and so forth. A lot of different moving pieces to this oh, e- no, no, no question about e-discovery it. puzzle. Uh, yep. We're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we will talk more about Taming the Litigation Beast with Barry Weiner of Roberto, Israel, and Weiner. Here on Consulting Group's legal consulting practice, a leading provider of consulting and business services to corporations and law firms, helps align strategy, people, processes, and technology to meet the goals of the organization. We also help prepare and plan for all phases of discovery in a legal dispute or investigation. We establish an effective records management program that creates cost savings and enhanced productivity while minimizing risk. Check out Velocity, the first comprehensive e-discovery solution. For more information, visit us at www.huronconsultinggroup.com. Legal Talk Network has been producing award-winning legal podcasts since 2005. Subscribe to our RSS feed and start downloading today. It's free. Welcome back to In-House Legal. I am your host, Paul Boynton. We are joined by Barry Weiner, a dean of the trial bar in Massachusetts. Barry, a a very important and uh, difficult challenge uh, that's unique to in-house counsel because they have a, a dual role of being a business advisor as well as a legal advisor to their companies. 
Can you touch upon briefly the difficulties in preserving the attorney-client privilege for communications to and from in-house counsel and what they should do to make sure that their companies aren't forced to produce sensitive communications during litigation? Well, I think for, for, for starters, what's probably always useful for, uh, for in-house counsel when it comes to uh, the preservation uh, of the privilege is to, uh, say, at least annually, uh, review uh, yourself and with your key personnel uh, the elements of the privilege, uh, and uh, those in the simplest form being that the holder of the privilege seeking legal advice from a lawyer acting as a lawyer who provides legal advice confidentially, uh, and the privilege is claimed and, uh, and not uh, waived. And um, you've raised one, Paul, in your in your uh, run-up, which is in assessing whether communications are protected by the privilege, you got to be careful to distinguish between communications for the purposes of legal advice and other communications made in the course of uh, uh, of their duties. Uh, and again, by way of example, communications uh, that pertain primarily to business or management decisions uh, aren't protected. Uh, and as for those uh, circumstances where there is legal and business advice being communicated, and lots of times you have that, the legal advice has to predominate for the privilege to apply. So one quick little uh, uh, recommendation is, one, be sensitive enough to, to, in the first instance, and that's key, to recognize those kinds of circumstances. And if possible, separate out uh, the communications, uh, whether they're in person, whether they're by email, whether they're by letter or what have you, the business piece from the purely legal piece. And uh, it, that's a, a very important, uh, uh, an important piece. The things that uh, people frequently come up with, by the way, that uh, and your staff needs to understand this. Uh, and when I say staff, it's not simply your legal staff, it's also your key management people. Uh, that frequently come up uh, when the when the privilege is thought to apply uh, is when people label documents with the phrase confidential and privileged uh, or attorney-client communication or words to that effect, when in fact the communication has nothing to do with it or is certainly not predominated by it. We're copying numerous internal people to a communication and including your in-house counsel uh, Sensing in that circumstance that uh, everything's going to be uh, uh, copacetic, it's it's not the case. What you want to do is uh, in those circumstances, just as I say again, you need to be sensitive to the existence of the privilege and make sure that in circumstances uh, uh, that arise uh, that uh, you are acting accordingly. Now, even if the communications are privileged, however. And, you, and they're claimed, you can still lose the privilege if it's deemed to have been waived. And in most, uh, in its most perhaps basic form, waiver will occur when an otherwise privileged communication uh, no longer is confidential because it has been disclosed to a third party. Uh, frequent examples, Paul, of such a waiver are going to include discussing legal advice with a business partner, 
disclosures during internal investigations to regulators, insurers, auditors, other counsel for employees, officers, directors, uh, who you don't represent uh, individually, court filings, uh, or the media. It's uh, it's quite a list. In other words, uh, <laughs> you need to be, uh, you really need to have your pencil sharpened and make yourself very sensitive to this particular issue and act accordingly. Well, it sounds like you constantly have to have it in the back of your mind and just certainly be aware of the context of your of your communications. Uh, Barry, we've run out of time, but thank you so much for joining us today to share your thoughts and insights on how in-house lawyers can effectively control their litigation budgets. Uh, if you'd like, please share with our listeners your contact information. My contact information uh, on, uh, on email is uh, byw at riw.com, and the phone number is 617-742-4200. Uh, and our offices are at uh, 100 North Washington Street in Boston, Massachusetts, on the sixth floor. Barry, thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you'll join us for another in-house legal show. Thanks for listening. I'm Paul Boynton, host of In-House Legal, your online source of the news and information in-house lawyers need to stay ahead of the game. Thanks for listening to In-House Legal with attorney Paul Boynton. Hot topics for the in-house lawyer, legally speaking. We hope you'll listen to the next edition right here on the Legal Talk Network.